His name is Heston Blumenthal. He is one of the most inquisitive and creative chefs on the planet, with a knowledge of food quite unlike anyone else. And now Heston is taking us on a journey to the centre of food, deep inside ingredients and dishes we all recognise, but to reveal the hidden secrets inside them and hopefully change how we view cooking and eating forever. Hello Heston, it's very nice to see you. And it's very nice to see you too, Jay. And you, James. Nice to see you. Yes, because joining us as well, we have James, our Fat Duck producer, who's here to make sure that we stay on the right side of fact. It is nice to see you, James. Is all good? Yeah, all good. Looking forward to this. One of my favourite subjects. Indeed. So, Heston, reveal, where are we voyaging to the centre of today? It's the centre of the universe of jellies, which is massive. You could do a whole podcast series on this alone, so I think we might go all over the show, but that wouldn't be... Changing the habit of a lifetime, would it? <laughs> yeah, jellies. Jellies, jellies, jelly. Uh, I think this is a, a brilliant place to play and an unexpected place to play because in my mind, I immediately go, yeah, jelly. It's a singular thing. It's the thing that you have at kids' parties and as a student, you eat straight from the packet because you can't afford any other food. But it's not, is it? As we discovered over the years in our adventures and you certainly have in your world of cooking, jelly and jellies is incredibly varied with a long history. A long history and also they can appeal to anyone from any age group. The, the diversity of jellies is incredible. As you said, you know, when we first think of jellies and cream, you're not coming to my party, my dad's a policeman, all of those sorts of things <laughs> that kids said to each other. And you're not going to have any oh, jelly wait, and cream. What? <laughs> you know when you're younger. Did you ever have that? Where, where people, kids would say something like, you know, they'd have a birthday party and then they'd argue with a friend and say, you're not coming to my party and my dad's a policeman, which is sort of just to make doubly sure that they weren't going to try and break in and steal their jelly. <laughs> That's a fantastically specific memory, which I think's brilliant. I know, it's a, memories are wonderfully personal. But it is. it seems to be one of those things, though, as a, as a kid, jelly is omnipresent, it's everywhere in your life, and then suddenly it sort of stops. And, and jelly, we don't think about jelly so much anymore, apart from chefs, I'm guessing, in your world. But generally, it feels like one of those things I'm not surrounded by as much as you are in a kid. Well, what about a marshmallow? What about a jam? What about a fruit pastel? What about a panna cotta? What about a chocolate mousse? The list goes on. If you put gelatine so in something... at this point, I would say to you, what is a jelly then? I need to start right. This is my starting at position A. What is a jelly then? Well, okay, you've just you've asked me a very interesting question that I don't know the actual dictionary description of a jelly, and I would be interested to know what it is, and then I and then I'll then I'll uh, then I'll talk more. James, does it say a wobbly thing? A wobbly thing thus set with a setting agent. Well, that's it. I mean, I think historically it, it emerged from a world of, of desserts and, and things made with gelatin. And I think it was first referred to as a jelly, I think, in Hannah Glass's Art of Cookery in, in the sort of back end of the 1800s, uh, 1700s. So I think the word jelly emerged there. I don't know. I, I assume it must have been a derivation of gelatin. So if you think about, as James just said, Hannah Glass's book, I think might have been the first um, printed use of the word jelly made with gelatin. In certainly British cooking. Now we're not quite sure because Hannah Glass, um, many people say Hannah Glass basically collated many other people's recipes and stuck it in a book. However, if you think about jellies, um, they're sweet and they're savoury. And when you make gelatine, the thing that makes the jellies, the, the thing that actually makes 
jellies, the classic ingredient to make jellies, it's made from meat. Things like pig's feet and head and all the bits of meat that get really gelatinous and sticky. Uh, I'll explain a little bit more about that shortly. So the actual history of a jelly, I would assume would run back maybe thousands of years where people would start to boil. If you boil bones, when you make a stock, for example, when you put chicken wings in, 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 in water with veg and you cook it um, for a couple of hours and you, then you strain it and let it get cold and put it in the fridge, it sets into a jelly. And that is gelatine that's making it set. So the gelatine you buy in the, in, in, in the supermarket, either sheet or powdered, is actually made from meat bones and bits of meat. Still to this day? Still to this day. And the holy grail, I would say, of gelatin, somebody came up with a vegetarian gelatin. There are vegetarian gelatins. However, one of um, gelatin's most beautiful properties is that it melts at mouth temperature. And it's really delicate. If you get the set light, you put it in your mouth and it just, it, that, that wobbliness, you know, that you want, for me, a, a, a wobbly jelly, you want it as wobbly as possible, but if it's too wobbly, then it just falls over. I love that. I love the wobbliness is so important. And that's brilliant because that wobbly. is one of those things that appeals to all, isn't it? Yeah. And that's, I remember that we did something about Victorian jellies and it was all about the wobble because they thought that was naughty, right? They thought that was awfully funny and engaging because it wobbled. Yeah. <clears throat> it's funny, actually. It, Victorian, the Victorian Empire, um, obviously, I think they covered the, the, the largest expanse of the earth of any empire. I think it was 42% or something. But the effect they had on food was incredible. And for me, for the effect they had on British gastronomy was not positive. Because the last great, I think we're in, we're in a great period of British cooking now. The last great period of British cooking was basically the Georgian period. And then when the Victorian Empire came along, we embraced everything French. So the chefs to all the palaces in England, all the, all the stately homes were... were, were British and then they got they got elbow to one side and uh, Jean-Francois Le something and 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 many of the great they, the great French chefs from the chateaus in France were attracted to the UK. In fact, if you look at Carême, Alexis Soyer, um, Escoffier, these are three of the greatest French chefs in the of the last century before, were all lived in the UK. So we embraced everything French, and even now in Buckingham Palace, stately menus, our state menus are written in French and not in English. Are they really? So a lamb chops with peas would be cotelet d'agneau petit pois. Now, okay, we could argue that it sounds a lot, it sounds a lot more gastronomic and romantic, but <laughs> we lost our Britishness with the Victorian period also. Um, this is an aside. It, it was it was okay to break wind at the table before Victorian period. In fact, it was it was it was a done thing. And then it went in, uh, but then it went into the realms of kids love it whoopee cushions. But it's not something that you do if you want to sort of stick with etiquette. So things that were more that human beings naturally found funny or maybe titillating were banned. Were sort of not. There just wasn't etiquette. So we had to find other ways of titillation. And a big wobbly jelly fitted the bill wonderfully. You have to be that straight laced, don't you? That that yeah. the, the pinnacle of a dinner party is bringing out a jelly. And imagine tr just trying to sit around a table and not laugh, and somebody going, 
<laughs> no, from the double, great, it's just double entendre. Yeah, and I remember for, for Feast, we did the, we, we looked at that Victorian period and I never knew until we did that program that the Victorians invented the vibrator. And it was designed, oh, yes. remember, for female, this is just outrageous. It was designed to cure um, female hysteria. Oh, yeah. Wasn't that a definition they gave to something which was just basically any time a woman got any kind of emotion about anything was defined as they're being hysterical? Yeah, yeah. I mean, it was, it, it was completely outrageous. And, that, <laughs> that, and so that combination of that period where the, the vibrator was invented to reduce, reduce female hysteria, whatever on earth that was, um, and the obsession with wibbly wobbly jellies. Do you remember? It took us to um, a vibrator shop in London that was. I, yes. I remember. <laughs> and nowadays, these things are completely. I mean, you buy them on Amazon. They're, but they're, you know, it's, 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 they're, they're just adult, they're adult toys. But I remember we weren't allowed in uh, when it was open because it was, it was designed for females. So females can come in with their partners. But we were, we got access before before they opened i remember the you myself jockey who was working with for me at the time i'd never seen anything like it shelf and shelves <laughs> of these I. shapes and you're thinking what does that do and then jockey they, they were they had ones with remote controls you remember he was pressing the buttons and sort of the shelf <laughs> on the shelf the other side of the room some bunny rabbit would start yapping or whatever bunny rabbits do <laughs> it was hilarious and we ended up making trying to make um the most luminescent green, tallest, most wobbly jelly that didn't break. We used a traffic cone. You remember? And it was oh, I'd so, forgotten about that. Oh, it was so it was so on edge to get it to set, to turn it out. The guests were sitting there ready for it, to turn it out without it falling over. The top was I mean, it was almost in a C shape. It was that wobbly. And we maybe we put it on a round table. I'd love to take credit for inventing the actual table, but uh, that was you and the you and the uh, and the set design team where we oh, put David Weir, yeah, yeah, we put was it like six vibrators into the side <laughs> of the table and turned them on, so they're all vibrating. So the idea was these vibrators vibrated the wobbly jelly, and alongside it, do you remember this? We made a dessert, which was you imagine those you know those ro- old rocket lollies. Yes. It was, it was shaped, we made this cone, we went to an architectural, uh, these people that did 3D, one of the first times we saw 3D printing. So we, and they used it for architecture and we designed this rocket shaped um, cone. It was about six inches high and we used it as the jelly mold, but I wanted this really super thin, delicate jelly. It was strawberries and cream, because again, that was very Victorian. And then we filled the molds with, um, it was like a, a, a cream sort of custard saffron sauce. So the idea was when you cut into the jelly, this beautiful creamy sauce, however, we'd had it so on the edge. We made, there were six people, six guests, and we made about 24 of these jellies. And one by one, as we turned them out, they sat there with it, that looks beautiful. And then it just looked at us and laughed and a little crack opened up and they collapsed do you remember we in the I end do. i think we only had five left between six people that was it we ran out didn't we we, we ran oh. i think we ended up making them share all of the jelly i mean architectural is the word for it isn't it because it was all about if you wanted to make a jelly that stayed still you'd just smash so much gelatin and it couldn't move but it would taste 
awful and you were trying to get that balance between the two right and it was it was a ludicrously delicate balance on something which in theory seemed so easy do you know going forward i love i i I sort of love these conversations because i sort of remember the pain that i've managed to (laughs) bury and forget about but they're behind the (laughs) scenes and i remember what with that with those series that we've done there was so much work that went into trying to make this food i remember the the I, i don't think the channel were overly keen with me because they thought well it's a TV show. I said, well, no, it's, it is, but there's six people that are going to be eating this. You want their reaction. And if you want to make food big, big food needs to be strong enough to support its own weight. And if it's that big, there's a point where its own weight is so heavy in order to keep making it stand up, you, have, you make food that is so tough and unpleasant to eat. So that was one of our biggest challenges through the series. The behind the scenes torture and pain Getting that close to the edge, I remember one of the the the, the second half of either fantastical foods or great British feasts. I there were I think it was a giant ice cream, and it looked like it was going to collapse. and And I remember turning around to you and thinking, you know what? We've done work so hard on this. It wouldn't necessarily be a disaster if it collapsed because each program we we had so much natural jeopardy that you almost wanted something to fail at the end because otherwise viewers might think oh here we go again it's a it's a it's a big it's, it's a big easy. challenge and he's pulled it off again but i just remember oh my god jellies so i think that that also touches on one of the jellies can be for me they can be beautifully delicate they can they can add texture they can add bursts of flavor they can you can do some really magical little playful things with them with different types of jellies they can be surprising and exciting and and uh child create childlike wonder there's so many things you can do with them i mean i if you want to i could i made a little list i don't i've made a little list this is by no means exhaustive. I thought I'd run through a range of some of the jellies that we've done. That's brilliant. I was going to. I was just. I was going to ask how you've managed to manipulate jellies throughout your career to use in different ways. I'd be fascinated. Yeah. So, that, so that, that, that they're in no order of importance or date, and that it's it's a it's a portion of what we've done. So, marshmallows, a whole myriad of flavors, and giant ones as well. Cubes of little gels in cap with encapsulated flavors. So when you bite into them, they explode like lime jelly. In, hidden in a potato puree, um, a whole myriad of panna cottas and mousses, hot and iced tea, where the tea is, we discussed before, where it's hot, vertically split, hot on one side and cold on the other. The largest wobbly jelly wobbled by vibrators, which you just talked about. Remember the pot noodles we did where, where with uh, um, Noddy Holder and his bulb burst, it was pot noodles where we ex- he extruded uh, the noodles out of a wooden box, the block of jelly, and you push this you push them through a sieve and you would make these noodles go straight into the soup. Then we made, with heat-resistant jellies, we made pasta sheets to like a lasagna where the pasta actually is, 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 is a very thin sheet of gel. We made raviolis with heat-resistant sheets so you can put mousses and creams in them so they, they, they burst when you cut into them. Um, edible wrappers, so little sweets where you can either you can even eat the edible cellophane. There's we made edible packet soups where you pour the hot water on the packet. The packet looks like a tea bag, but it's actually a jelly. You can see through with the ingredients inside. 
Um, then there was, oh, remember those jelly beans, jelly bean, chicken testicles, jelly beans for the golden, the goose that laid the golden egg, where we, we dip these, they, they sound horrible, but they're very prized in France. They're white and they come from breast chickens. They look just like jelly beans. We'd cover them in sort of red pepper and yellow pepper um, jellies. They weren't actually the testicles though, were they? Wasn't that- yeah, they're called, well, they're called rognon. They're white, they're called white uh, kidneys and they come from breast chickens. You get two from a chicken. They're very delicate. It's like a boudin blanc. Uh, then there was the flaming sorbet, which we did from the Christmas shows where you light it. But what we did was you light the sorbet with a click of your finger. In fact, in, hidden in the pocket, you have a little, a little uh, mechanism that opens like it opens your garage door. And we had this cotton wool that's really flammable. You, and you click it and, it and, and at the table, the sorbet just comes, comes to light and it doesn't melt. Then there was all the various liquid scented jellies. Fluid gels, which I'll touch on later, which we used in hot and iced tea, but also to make wonderful uh, vegetable purees without putting starch in. So you get a really, really clean flavour. We used the fluid gel to make the fizzy champagne jelly for the Sol Veronique I touched on in last week's podcast on grapes. You you used it as well to make the, um, remember the the Willy Wonka taste changing drink? You remember the whole roast meal in a drink? Alice in Wonderland. Alice in Wonderland. Uh, Sorry, Alice in Wonderland. Seven flavours from roast chicken to pineapple and toast. All in one drink. All in one drink. Len Fisher's fizzy champagne jelly, range of, I said panacottas, the trifles, noodles, spaghetti all made out of jelly. Then I've used a lot of very thin sheets, discs of jelly to place over risottos, for example. So when you cut through each time, it's a bit like a trifle, you get a very thin layer of gel. So you can add acidity or spices into those those jellies. There's all sorts of um, savoury jellies we made from the mock, the, the, the mad hatter's tea, the mock turtle soup, where we reduced a consomme down to a jelly and molded it into a fob watch and wrapped it in gold leaf. We made chewy ice cream with marshmallows, that's with, with gelatine. And then there was all the veg, vegetable fruit pastels, beetroot that tasted like blackcurrant. There was pumpkin that tasted like apricot. There was fennel that tasted like lime. All the different sort of jams and compots with pectins which was like the whiskey whiskey gums where they're little bottles of whiskey that we take the alcohol out of and they were put on a map on a picture frame and you peel them off as you could eat these little instead of wine gums they were they're whiskey gums remember we made the world's largest wine and most acidic wine gums fruit pastels we did that as well then there was pineapple jelly which you couldn't make unless you boiled the living daylights out of the pineapple juice because the bromelain would break down the gelatine. So we, I found, I found a way that if you add chilli to the pineapple juice, you kill the bromelain. And the list, I mean, I could go on. That's amazing variety of things there. I, 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 Masses. I, I, I've obviously tried and been around for quite a few of those, but I, I didn't even realise that jelly was involved in quite a lot of those. Explain to me that last one you said then about pineapple. For, okay, for a start, I've got lots to ask you about this. For a start... Why were you trying to? Why were you so into making pineapple jelly? It was a pineapple jelly for a dessert, which had a crab syrup and a and a pump. A, a, um, what do you call it? And a gingerbread biscuit. So a really fine slice. Oh, I like you laughing. I can see your <laughs> this face. Is great. Of so, course, that makes course complete sense. <laughs> um, but I was inspired by if you in in Asia they have these packets of sort of sweet salted seafood. And the sweet and salt works really well. And so much so that you almost forget you're eating a dried shrimp or a dried crab or whatever. But they're, but, but they're sweet as well. Mm. And so I, it was a, 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 a crab syrup. 
there was a pineapple jelly, there was um, there was a gingerbread ice cream and wafer thin slices of gingerbread. You slice them thin and you roll them between two sheets and then and then crystallize them. So they're really delicate crisps. So you make like this millefeuille of, or, or Napoleon with them. But when I started to set, the gelatin didn't set the pineapple juice. And I actually wasn't aware that you couldn't set pineapple juice. This is fresh pineapple juice with gelatin. And then I did some research and there's an enzyme called bromelin in pineapples. It's in papaya as well. Kiwi has a similar thing with it. And I wanted fresh pineapple juice. And I could have just bought tinned um, because the heat then kills the, the enzyme. But I didn't want to do that because for some reason, of course, I, I, of course not. Yeah. Path of greatest resistance. <laughs> yeah. So we ended up with pine, the pineapple and chili jelly and it worked really well on the dish. Did the chili kill the bromelin? Yes, the chili killed the bromelin. How did you discover that? Was it just a, 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 a sort of oh. trying lots of things? Yeah, I think it's just a, a dog with a bone, relentless questioning, which is, you know, if you believe in something enough, you think there is a way, there's got to be a way. Okay, sometimes flogging a dead horse is an appropriate saying. I remember make, trying to make savoury candy floss and after two years I realised this is not possible. Not, I mean, you can make sweet candy floss and put savoury flavours in, but you need the spinning properties of sucrose. Which is, which is sweet. Now, I tried all sorts of things with that. Now, I just want to pause briefly there. I just wanted to share a product with you guys that I thought you might be interested in. It's called ExpressVPN, and it's great if you like watching online content from across the world. For example, have you ever noticed that with content streamers, you're blocked from watching certain content when you're in a different country? I notice this, for example, when I travel abroad and I try and watch iPlayer. Well, ExpressVPN is here to help unblock us all. ExpressVPN lets you change your online location so you can control where you want the sites to think you're located. You just open the app, select a location, and you tap one button to connect, and then you refresh the page to access thousands of new shows and movies. You can choose from almost 100 different countries, so you can supercharge your Netflix subscription with way more content. For example, you can log in and see The Dark Knight and Brooklyn Nine-Nine on Canadian Netflix or Rick and Morty on French Netflix or The Fresh Prince of Bel-Air on Australian Netflix. And this also works with any streaming service from Hulu, BBC iPlayer, YouTube and you can finally access the free streaming service Peacock. You just change your location to the US. So why should you try it? Well, the great thing is you can stream in HD no problem with no buffering or lag. It's compatible with all your devices, phones, laptops, consoles, smart TVs and everything else you might have. And not only does it let you change your location, it also encrypts all your data and lets you surf the web safely and anonymously. Now we have a great offer for all of you guys. Just go to expressvpn.com slash Heston and they will kindly give you an extra three months of ExpressVPN for free. That's expressvpn.com slash Heston. What was interesting about that list as well you gave me then, which did remind me of, of, I remember when we were researching the Victorians and their jellies and how many of their jellies were savoury as well as sweet because we tend to now, certainly when you say jelly, it's always sweet. Yet the things you went through then, as many savoury as sweet and and, and often you wouldn't even realise you were being given a jelly with what you created. Yeah, exactly. And that's that's for me that you play around with the delicacy of jelly. So there's nothing like gelatin for its delicacy and mouthfeel. However, if you're a vegetarian or vegan, then... What are you getting? You get in your book? No, my own book, yeah. But I'm gonna, book I'm of getting, Jelly. Means Do you want me to read from my own book? Yeah, go on. <laughs> okay, I haven't done this before. I just wanted to make sure I didn't... I, I, so oh, no, stuff you, you might want to put some head. gentle bedtime music uh, under this, Jay, for this section with your okay. soporific voices. <laughs> 
now on Generation Centre Food, Heston Blumenthal reads from Heston Blumenthal's cookbook. Are you sitting comfortably? Then I'll begin. I've always loved jelly. When I was a kid, my mum would take three different flavoured packets of round trees and set them one on top of the other to produce a fantastic multi-striped concoction. Originally, cooks had to make their own gelatine by boiling pigs and calves' feet and bones, cartilage and tendons. Sounds nice, doesn't it? Lovely. Uh, it was a smelly and time-consuming business, which meant that jellies and aspics were a relatively specialised area of cuisine. The advent of a commercial product made jelly making much more accessible. Commercial gelatine is usually made from pig skin that is soaked in acid and placed in several changes of warm water that are subsequently filtered, purified, evaporated and dried into sheets or powder. Using either of these as a setting agent is simple as long as you follow certain steps. Both types should be moistened first, a process known as blooming, after Oscar Bloom, who invented the device for measuring gelatine's rigidity. Now, when I say both, that I'm talking about gelatine powder and gelatine, um, and gelatine leaves. Now, so what you've done there, imagine that, that this is going into how gelatine works. So gelatine is a, is, a, is a protein. Collagen. Gelatine comes from collagen. Collagen is the tough connective tissue that we all, all humans have and animals have. And the more the, more, uh, the animals worked, had to walk around and climb up and down and move, um, at certain parts of the body have more collagen than others. It's the tough, white, grittily stuff you get in oxtail, that when you cook it for long and slow, it becomes wonderfully sort of gelatinous. So what happens there, if you can picture a barber's pole, it's what they call a triple helix. It's like a string. So you have three threads, and then twirl them together to make a, to make a spiral. Like a rope. Like a, exactly, like a rope. And because there's three, it's called a triple helix. So th- these are your your collagen strands, when you cook them for a certain time and temperature, they, they split into their three, into the gelatine, which is the individual strands. Now, when they cool down, those strands want to get back into their barber's pole, into their rope shape. But they can't, they can't. It's too complicated to, to, to get back into that shape. So they join together sort of in threes. And actually, um, the, the way they join, the actual mass behind this is just the same, very, very similar to the way that trees grow, the way that our veins in our body grow, the way that vine, uh, sorry, the way that roots and mycelium grow under the ground. So if you can picture this, um, let's say you've got the stem, you've got the trunk, the beginning of a plant or a tree. So you've got one vertical um, the trunk and it splits into two. So you've got like a Y. Then at the end of each one of those splits into two. And then the end splits into two, and it keeps splitting into two, and splitting into two, and splitting into two. Like a family tree, almost, isn't it? It just seems. It's just like it's like exactly, exactly the same. So then, what happens? That forms a net. So you've got gelatine. You've got the collagen that's broken down to gelatine in the liquid that you want to set, whether it's a custard or a stock. When it cools down, it, that gelatine will come together like a giant fishing net, and then it holds in all the liquid until you then melt it, and then it breaks up again and that's basically how gelatine works oh that's brilliant i completely understand which is which is rarity so that's the the wonderful thing about gelatine is its texture and mouthfeel the negative side to gelatine is that it's made from boiled bits of meat uh, so it's not suitable at all for vegetarians or vegans and it is very delicately sensitive to heat so then you've got another range of 
There's many more. We've got another range of, 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 of gelling agents that in fact are heat resistant. And these are generally made from things like seaweed. So you've got agar, agar, carrageen. The Japanese use these a lot. And you, if you, you can buy this in the supermarket and that's vegetarian, but it does not melt in your mouth. But what you can do with these jellies, there's another, there's a great one called Jelan uh, uh, as well. The way they set is, is different to gelatine, but when they set, they're not thermoreversible. Thermoreversible means if you make it, you, you set a gelatine gel, and then if you gently heat it, it'll then go back to liquid. These don't. So whilst you lose the texture, because they won't heat, they won't melt under the heat of your mouth, you can then make heat resistant gels, which enables you to make filled raviolis. It enables you to, to, to make little hot cubes of jelly with bursts of flavor. Because you can put so much flavour into a little into a little cube, and you can heat that up as well. Yeah, they're warm, they're hot, and then you can make. If you take these gels and you let them set, they'll set like more like a brick. Then you then you just make, puree them or pass them through a sieve, and you get what's called a fluid gel, which, if you get the balance right, it can look like liquid, which is the hot and iced tea. But in fact, it's a broken up or pureed, sieved solid. It's a gel. That was the strangest thing. I remember when you made that hot and cold iced tea, which for anyone listening who doesn't know what this is, is quite remarkable. When you're at the Fat Duck, you get served a, a cup and it is hot and cold iced tea. And the you can't see it because it's all tea coloured, but the line down the middle is one side. If you get the cup in the right place where the, the, the person who serves it with you tells you, I suggest you, you drink from here. On your mouth, one side of your mouth will be hot. The other side of your mouth will be cold. And... It's one of those weird things. When you say a sort of broken up solid, it still looks and tastes just like a liquid. That's what's so magical about it. It, it does. And, and if you then, if you then what, what took so long for that was to try and get the set just right. Because if it was too much of a brick before you sieve it, you can see the broken up pieces in there. It doesn't feel like a liquid. It's more of a puree. So you have to get that balanced. Because if it's too thin... If, it's, if, the, if the particles are too small, then the hot and the cold mix. If the particles are too big, you end up, you don't think it's a liquid. So if you use slightly bigger particles, you can then start to make purees. So imagine if the hot and iced tea, if those two, if those two broken up jellies were actually thicker, they turn into a puree. So you have a base puree. Then if you, you could then juice fresh carrots, for example, if you wanted a fresh carrot puree, and you... And you pour that into your, your, your fluid gel base and you, you have this wonderful non-starchy, I'm very sensitive to, I don't like using too much starches in, in cooking because I find it masks the, the flavour. So you, get, you can have vegetable purees, for example, that are, you can use it to make soups, the, 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 the flavour of the vegetable comes through so beautifully and concentrated. You can even make, you know, make a a fish pie with it, so it's your cream sauce. Actually, you don't, don't thicken it with flour, make a fluid gel. Because when you thicken with flour, I'm not saying that they can't be delicious, but when you thicken with flour, you do start to mask the flavour. So there's a whole range of, of, uh, of uses of those fluid gels. And also what we developed uh, years ago was taking those fluid gels and spreading them out on a sheet of parchment paper. And if you've got some sugar in them, and then bake them. And you end up with a lolly. So we're making carrot lollies. I just remember this as I'm talking. We made these wonderful little beetroot using pink beetroots, you know, the, 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 the rainbow beetroots. 
two of those sandwiching a little cream on a lolly stick and then we had it cellophane wrapper but the cellophane wrapper was also edible oh wow so, so you can i mean the lit the, the 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 list the list goes on and on and on and it's such fact, a playground for you to play with when you suddenly take away the general restrictions that we expect with with heat and cold but also with solid and liquid it just opens yes. up a massive playground uh, c- completely and 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 there's uh, i've just touched on a, c- a couple there are there are a range of more of more gelling agents i mean there's one called there's an interesting one called methyl cellulose or methyl cellulose and the uh, the unique um characteristic of this gelling agent is that it melts when it's cold and it sets when it's hot which is the opposite i, I got really excited when i first heard about this and I played around with it, and I wasn't really for me. I, I, I just, I don't know. There was something about the the, the, the flavour that just seemed a little bit chemically for me, and the texture, a gummy in my mouth. However, it, it did become popular for chefs were using it. But in fact, its major use is so many things that we buy in the supermarket. So moulded kids' dinosaur, either cheeses and stuff like that. Because what happens is, you can make your mix when it's cold. And then you can put it in your molds, and then you can bake it. Right. And, it, and you see, so so it's it has, and when you bake it, it goes hard. So met, they were you food companies have used methylcellulose for for years. Oh, even just even the list of gelling agents, and actually that's reminded me going back in time. Do you remember when James talked about Hannah Glass? And I think you go back before then. There were ingredients like generally bits of animals. If you, it makes sense if you think about gelatin comes from protein so fish stomachs they used i can't remember the type of fish I've, I've i've played around with them before they look like sheets of gelatin what a fish's stomach that's what it looks like yeah it's like see-through clear and then were you remember we filmed in a stately home somewhere in england and we used we waited with a heart's horn which was a jellying agent made from when the when the either the deer's fore or the horn's fell off when they shed their horns they would they would then grind them up and use that to for a jelly and i just remember it tasting interesting ammonia, i, rem- I, I remember, remember that we were sitting in i can't remember the name of it. it's quite a famous stately home and we were in this lovely room and we weren't allowed to touch yeah. anything and especially furniture. me and you because we break everything and we were just without trying there. yeah <laughs> and they gave you this really nice tea blue cutlery or crockery sorry and 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 this, and you, you have an iron belly, and you are stoic when it comes to tasting some of the most miserable things we've had out there. But I think this one did push you quite far because it was uh, awful. It was, it was awful. It was, it was awful. Or maybe let's say it was a forgotten taste. Or maybe there's a reason. <laughs> there's a reason why we've forgotten. You it. made it from grating the horn of the, you know, the, yeah, fell, the yeah. fallen horns of deers. Which yeah. even in itself is like, why did anyone think that would be a good idea? I, I don't know. I think it's called heart's horn. I think icing glass was the fish stomach and heart's horn, um, heart's horn. I mean, remember when I'm saying these things, I'm not saying I'm 100% correct. These, I'm just accessing my memory, but I, I think icing glass is the fish stomach and heart's horn is the, is the ground um, horn of the deer. And this, this shows that, the, you know, that the, the value that was put on the gelling agents in the Victorian period to put in all sorts of stuff, didn't they? On the table. It, and also the moulds. I seem to remember the moulds being a big deal. Like we, we saw lots of 
copper molds which were made to look like fish in which you could put your fish jellies oh, completely. I guess it must have been. Yeah. I mean, the, 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 um, as you said, there was a, such a, a boom on jellies and actually savoury ices in the Victorian period. Um, and even, I mean, gels, different forms of gels pop up in places where, you know, every sort of everyday foods, I mean, not everyday like, you know, toast and baked beans but you know you can buy those uh, olives that have little red peppers stuffed in them in yeah. the supermarket they're not red peppers it's a, it's a red pepper jelly oh really? it's a jelly made with seaweed and in fact I remember we were doing a project years ago with um, there was the fat dark old bully Ferrandi the big cooking school in France there was an engineering company and the world's largest producer of agar seaweed products in the world a Portuguese company and we'd taken a break from our morning session. It was really about how, how uh, education, engineering, the culinary world could all come together um, to come up with new things. And I was in the, in the car with, um, it was Ferran or Albert, Albert, his brother, and we were going to lunch and this Portuguese guy said, do you know, you can make, um, you can make false caviar. So what? And he basically gave the, the, the origin of the whole thing of spherification, which is very, you know, it's very, very modern cooking now, but came from, really, it was the, 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 the food companies have been doing this for decades. But I remember sitting in the back of the taxi thinking, wow. And uh, that, I think that was the moment of the crossover point between the, you, that, that technique coming into, for and bring it into the, into the gastronomic the gastronomic world but uh, they, they're just it's just the range the range of gels it's a bit like foams you know when you talk about foams and people will say oh yeah well this fancy stuff and foam well bread is a foam cappuccino what about what about the milk on top of your coffee it's a foam what about chocolate mousse it's a foam so these these things are uh, have such wide ranges and uses in cooking, and even things like baking, where they're used to create structure, but you wouldn't really know it in the end result. I think it's fascinating. Of interest, the um, we were talking about. I mean, one of the most spectacular things way back when we first started working together years ago. Um, I remember you making flammable ice cream, ice cream which would then be set on fire at the table, and you mentioned yeah. earlier that had that had. Je- that had jelly in it or was jelly yeah. was the entirety of the ice cream made from a a gel how, how did you make it it was a, it was a it was a sorbet uh we did it with apple and other flavors but we then had that imagine you've got like a when you make a sorbet it's normally you take a syrup so it's fruit juice sugar and then you put it in an ice cream machine obviously you heat it it's going to melt so imagine you've got your sorbet mix that you would normally put in the ice cream machine and then you then you then bloom, or you you pre um, you pre prepare your gelan gum, your gelan, and then you warm that up, and you make a jelly with that mix, and then you set it, and then you and then you pass it through a sieve, then you put it in your ice cream machine. So you end up, then you can pour some alcohol over it and flambe it, and it doesn't melt. Actually, and I remember, I can see you laughing, Jay, and I know exactly, I know exactly, I know where you're laughing as well, because I gelan. For me, when I discovered it, it was it was miraculous. And there was this there's a wonderful uh, he's probably retired. There's a wonderful man called Professor Tom Coultate, 
In my early days, I was trying to seek out scientists that were interested in working with a chef. So you could cross-pollinate. You, know, you, could, you could share ideas and bounce off each other. And one of Peter Barham actually said to me once that so he called chefs are practical physicists because we, we do stuff to ingredients, don't we? We heat it, we bash it, we mix it. It's physics. And then we get different atoms and molecules that come as a result of it. Anyway, I spoke to him and he came to the duck and I invited him for lunch this is years, years ago and he'd just been working on this that this ingredient product called gelan I'd never heard of it so he got he sent us a pot well it was actually a barrel I later realized I had enough gelan to set an Olympic sized swim, swimming pool and I just thought it was quite <laughs> funny having somebody jump bam, jump off a, a diving board and boing turn into a trampoline but there's something about that gel, the way it breaks in the mouth. And we've talked before a bit about flavor encapsulation when you get bursts of flavor. There was a big trend for using the microplane to grate, grate things. You had this big voluminous amount of very finely grated, could be almonds or in the case of any sort of gastronomic restaurants, truffles. And I thought they, they increased the smell, but for me it did something to the, to the taste. So I took um, three grams of truffle, grated it, three grams of truffle in a cube. And I ate the three grams of grated truffle, which was a bigger volume, and, and then ate the, the cube, but I bit into the cube. So the action of my teeth biting into the food created a much faster, greater release in contrast to flavor. It was incredible. So these little cubes of gelan, they, they set like bricks. They're almost, they, they shatter. So if you put, you know, you can make, I've done the green peppercorn one to go with mango, for example, because green peppercorn, uh, one of the main aroma molecules in green peppercorns are also in, this, in mango stones. And green peppercorns and mango go wonderfully well together. So we then made these little cubes of green peppercorn jelly that on their own were really powerful, but little, but you had it with a dessert, you got, we did it with a, it was like a pine, um, panna cotta pine mousse which is gelatine it had a mango and pine sheet of jelly on the top which is also gelatine and then these little cubes of gel which is gelan so playing around with different gelling agents on the same dish is also really interesting oh and another property of gelatine it's like what did the romans do for us and i keep <laughs> i keep interrupting myself by remembering <laughs> things i've forgotten is that gelatine has this ability to fuse so when you if you pour if you pour a strawberry jelly into a mold and then you set it in the fridge it, it, it's set. If you then pour a cold let's say you've made a lime jelly and you pour it on top of the strawberry jelly and that will set. But the two gels will will bond they'll fuse together. Whereas if you make a if you make a try and do the same thing with one of the other jelly the heat resistant jelly agents they won't. Um, and in fact, Tony, God, I'm rambling here, but this is such a big, exciting subject for me. Tony Blake, Professor Tony Blake, who's if I had a mentor, it would probably be him, uh, who was the head of flavor and um, head of flavor at the, one of the world's largest perfume and flavor houses called Ferminish. And I was working with him for, for years and he put together, uh, he sort of edited the third section, last section of the Fat Duck book, the technical sciencey section who's amazing inspiration for me he um said the first going back to the spherification and the red pepper 
in the olives. He said the very first example of that was in something like 1957. I can't remember the food company, but it was when they made, they made onion rings. So what they did was make the onion, they made onion juice. I'm not sure what was in it, but imagine you've got an onion liquid, an onion juice. It's like a sorbet mix, but you're not going to put it in an ice cream machine. And then imagine a mould that is like a telephone wire. So they would push this, they would pour this liquid through the telephone wire into a basin of liquid which had alkaline. So one mix would be acidic and the other would be more alkaline. And when the onion liquid, as it was extruded, so this coil is now going into the liquid, as it hits the liquid, it sets. So you'd end up with this sort of telephone wire of onion. Then they'd snip it and you'd end up with onion rings. And then when they coated them in batter, they froze them, they wouldn't break down. The onion rings wouldn't break down. And this mixture, they even did it, they did it with false pineapple. They called it, there was a reformed veg, I think, reformed fruits, I think they called this. So you could make what looked like pineapple slices and you, you can fry them. I mean, you can put them on the griddle, put them on the barbecue. They won't melt. I never thought when we, when we started talking about jelly that we would talk about ice cream and olives and onion rings. Going from jelly to onion rings is a route I was not <laughs> expecting for us to go down, but I think it... I, I, I genuinely, um, uh, uh, I never would have considered there was such a variety in this subject and the things you couldn't do with the things you've already done with it. But also, I think now, you know, we talk about taking these ingredients and making us look at them differently. I'm suddenly going to be much more aware of the things I'm eating out there, which are jellies and have jelly in it. Yeah, and maybe actually, that's, that's a really good point, Jay. I think we've got so much to discover about ourselves and our relationship with our universe. We consume the planet. We consume the planet in terms of energy. So whether, whether it's sunlight or drinking water or but eating food. So we consume the planet. Now, that means that there's so much to discover inside our bodies. So when you say we're going to go right journey into the center of food, that also means journey into the center of our relationship with food. So let's apply this to gels or jellies. Next time you eat a gelatine jelly, play around with it. Throw it, your, throw it at your mates. No, I mean, I mean, play around with it. Put it in your mouth and actually just see what happens to the texture as it melts in the mouth and what happens to the flavour release. And there might be some, you know, some jellies you might prefer leaving it longer in the mouth and others, you, I mean, it's your choice. Then if you take a, say, a vegetarian uh, or heat-resistant jelly, think about the flavour release with that. It won't melt in your mouth, but then you're going to bite into it. How crunchy is it? You know, the, all these things are there for us to discover. It's amazing. And then all of a sudden, you then start to discover something about your own relationship with food. And the world opens up and you think, oh, I've been eating that for the last 20, 30, 40, 50 plus years. I never knew that because no one's ever nudged me to have a look at it. You might not be interested and that's, that's okay as well. But, you know, I just think this opportunity through questioning to become increasingly curious which then leads to more and more discovery which then fuels our imagination and our memory and it's a big wonderful feedback loop and on that wonderful note we will say that is where we're going to end our wibble wobble jelly on the plate episode which has taken (laughs) us to many many unusual and wonderful places heston that was 
a joy. Thank you ever so much. I've learned so much in that one. And like you said, from the plates of jelly and cream that we have at kids' parties through to that myriad, that whole universe of jellies and how they affect us is quite remarkable. I love, God, just remem- I'm remembering on the spot. It's like calling up memories a la minute. And uh, yeah, some of them come with a little bit of pain, but I can laugh at them. It's great. I wouldn't regret them. I wouldn't regret them. I'll drop, leave that there. <laughs> I, don't know where, I don't know where I was going with that I was, I was going into a jelly that was melting <laughs> thank you ever so much James as well for being with us and Heston all that's left to say is goodbye Heston goodbye guys goodbye all thanks for listening